Welcome back to the DBC Engage podcast. Um, it's been a little while since we've been together, so I'm glad to be back in. Uh, just walking through some apologetics arguments. Um, this podcast is only here just to scratch the surface of the uh, of the discussion. There's so much more that we could talk about. In the previous uh, episode, I think it was the last one we did, or maybe the one before that, we talked about what's called the cosmological argument for God's existence. This week, we're going to talk about the teleological argument, also known as the design argument or the fine-tuning argument for God's existence. And so we'll kind of walk into that briefly, just scratch the surface. We're going to put some videos in the show notes that kind of give you a better idea of this argument, and I hope will be helpful for you. So what is this argument? Um, where does it come from? Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of the teleological argument or the design argument, or also fine-tuning kind of falls in that too. If you, um, if you have your Bibles with you, or if, uh, later on if you want to look at this, in Psalm 19, uh, David, who was this at one time in his life, a young shepherd boy tending to his father's sheep, uh, no doubt spent many nights out in the wilderness under the stars at night. David writes this psalm in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. He says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out. Uh, through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So David in this psalm is saying that uh, the heavens are declaring something. Um, they're declaring the glory of God. And the sky above, they're proclaiming something. They're proclaiming God's handiwork. I like what one Old Testament scholar, uh, William Venningram, says. He says this in his commentary on the psalms. He says that the verbs declare and proclaim are participle forms. They're expressive of a continuous revelation of the heavens and could be translated this way. They could be translated that they keep on declaring or they keep on proclaiming. So day after day, night after night, the heavens declare the glory of God. They proclaim his handiwork. They're saying something to us. And then in verses 3, it says their speech, uh, there is no speech, uh, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Uh, Veneran continues this. He says that natural revelation is without words and is universal, being unrestricted by the division of languages. It transcends human communication without the use of speech, words, or sounds. To those who are inclined to hear, this, revelation's come, this revelation comes with no regard for linguistic or geographic barriers, even to the ends of the world. So as we look at creation, it declares something to us. It says something to us. It declares that there is a good, magnificent God who created these things, and his, it displays his handiwork. So in this episode, we're going to look at the teleological argument. Um, like I said last week, we covered the cosmological argument. And what this argument does, it builds on the cosmological argument. So if you remember the cosmological argument, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And so this argument's just going to pile on top of that and say, you know what? When scientists look at the created universe, they see a finely tuned universe, a universe that's made for something. There's design behind it. It's going somewhere. There's purpose behind the universe. It's not just random. It's not chaotic but there's design in the universe. I like what James do and Paul Gould in their book, uh, Philosophy, A Christian Introduction. They say this, that new scientific discoveries over the past century have revealed that the universe is fine-tuned for the existence of conscious embodied agents. 
the evidence for the fine-tuning of the laws of nature, the constants of nature, and the initial conditions of the universe are overwhelmingly pointing to a divine creation. So when scientists look at creation, when they study creation, what they see is a finely tuned universe for the existence of life. Maybe you've heard of, the, of a guy named William Paley. William Paley lived in 1743 to 1805. He wrote a book on, it's called Natural Theology. And natural theology is just God's revelation in nature. It's a natural theology, how God revealed himself through creation. Paley says this, he says, suppose that you're walking up a, up a, a hill or something and you stump your toe on a rock. Now, if somebody asks you, why is that rock there? You could say, for all of us, it's always been there. And there wouldn't be any problems with that. He says, suppose also that you're walking up there and you trip over a watch. And there's a watch on the ground. And somebody says, how'd that watch get there? And if you say that, for all I know, the watch has always been there, that answer wouldn't suffice your friend. It wouldn't make sense. Why would it not make sense? Pelly says that if you stoop down to observe this watch, you see something different than you see in the rock. He says this. He says that the, the parts of the watch are fit together just perfectly. They're not too big. They're not too small. They're not in the wrong order. They're in just the right order for a purpose. He's saying that the, if, if you observe this thing, you, you see this cylindrical box containing a cold elastic spring. With, it, with its endeavor to relax itself, it turns around the box. He says that you see wheels and teeth. It's just the right size to fit together that results in the motion of the clock hands to tell the time at just the right time. And he says, if you look at it a little bit closer, you see these wheels that's made of brass to keep from rusting. You see the springs made of steel that's elastic. Uh, you, you see over the, over the watch, you see a glass face that's transparent so you can see the hands on the watch. And so Paley concludes this. He says this, that the, the, the inference we think is inevitable, that the watch must have a maker, that there must have existed at some time and at some place or other, an artificer or artificers, somebody who created this thing, who formed it for a purpose, which we find is actually to answer, um, who formed it for the purpose, which we find it actually to answer, who comprehended its construction and designed its uses. So he's saying that when you look at this watch, you say, behind this creation of this little thing that I'm holding my hand, it's clear there's design, and it's clear that there had to be a designer if there is design. What Paley is saying is that it's clear that this thing has been created by someone, some intelligent mind. It's not the result of just time and chance acting on matter that this thing just fell into existence. So he's looking at this thing and sees design. Douglas Grootheis is a Christian apologist. He wrote a book called Christian Apologetics, A Comprehensive Case for Biblical Faith. He gives another kind of a, kind of a Paley example in a way that kind of helps us think through some stuff, gets our mind thinking this way. Um, Grootheis says that upon visiting M Mount Rushmore, we do not need to be informed that the faces of the American presidents did not appear through patterns of erosion caused by wind and rain. While natural law and chance explain the surrounding hillsides, the face of the presence cannot be so accounted for. So if we go to Mount Rushmore, we can look aside and see a mountain, and maybe we see um, signs of erosion on a mountain. Maybe we see some trees that's fallen down. Maybe we see um, a, a ditch or a gully that's been cut out through erosion, and we say, okay, wind, rain, and stuff. And then if we look at Mount Rushmore, we see the presence's face etched into them. We don't say time, chance, acting on matter, wind, rain, and erosion. No, we say there's design behind 
or designer behind this design. It's just, it's just everyday common sense stuff. Groot Heist continues, he says this, um, that to claim that anything, whether a computer, a living cell, or the entire universe is designed means that it cannot explain itself. Its features indicate an intelligent agent outside of itself who is responsible for its features. We readily and frequently make distinctions between what is and is not designed. We can discriminate between the nest that's fallen out of a tree and a clump of brush at the base of a tree. So if we see a nest, we say that a bird wove it together and designed this nest. We see a clump of brush that washed up, we say that's just a clump of brush that washed up. So everyday common experiences tell us that we can see a difference in design and not design. Um, and this happens uh, constantly. We, we, don't, we just, just do this without even thinking about it. We see an, an iPad, we say there has to be a design behind it. We see this everyday stuff. And so we see this example. And so if we take that common everyday um, examples of the watch or Mount Rushmore or computers or whatever, and we see designer behind design, why do we stop so quickly whenever we see design in creation? Um, Scientists and biologists say that there are tons of these tiny little machines in our bodies. Uh, when scientists study these machines, they say that they look like kind of the previous watch that we talked about, a design. That these tiny molecular machines in our cells, in our bodies, um, have clear design in them. They have a drive shaft, they have rotor, a stator, they have other parts. It looks like an outboard engine in this, what's called uh, the bacterium flagellum. It's got all the parts of an outboard engine, a drive shaft, rotor, stator, and other parts that fit together that turn some ridiculous amount of RPMs. And if you look at it, you see this thing is designed for a purpose. In the show notes, we're going to put, as I mentioned before, we're going to put a couple of links to some really cool videos that show how these little molecular machines work in our bodies and how they are clearly, they look designed. Um, but not only do they see that um, these things are, are we, we see clearly that the, the watch design, we see that clearly that there's design in ourselves, right? And there's this, it's just really cool to kind of, if you have some time to look on, on YouTube at some of these videos, take some time and, and say, why am I going to say that a watch is designed, but this uh, bacterial flagellum in the body is not designed when it very clearly is designed and it's designed for a purpose? And they reproduce themselves. It's, it's very fascinating. But scientists aren't only saying that there's clear design in the universe, but they also say that the universe is finely tuned for life to even exist in the first place. Um, and these fine tuning numbers are astronomical. Maybe you've heard of some of them. They're, they're too big to even wrap your mind around, to be honest. Um, William Lane Craig in his book On Guard, I think I've mentioned before in here, is, that book is just a real good introduction to apologetics. It gives all the, the, the basic uh, arguments for apologetics. But in that book, he says that he kind of, he, he's helping us to wrap our minds around this idea of fine tuning that the universe is fine-tuned for life, that if these parameters were off just a little bit, there would be no life uh, that could exist. And so there's many of these. He gives a handful of them. He says this to kind of get, get our minds thinking. He says that the number of seconds in the entire history of the universe is around 10 to the 17th. That's one followed by 17 zeros. The number of subatomic particles in the entire universe is said to be around 10 to the 80th. That's one followed by 80 zeros. And he says that now with this, those numbers in your mind, consider the following examples of fine-tuning. The so-called weak force, one of the four fundamental forces of nature, which operates inside the nucleus of an atom, is so fine-tuned 
that an alteration in its value by even one part in 10 to the 100th uh, would have prevented a life-permitting universe. So the fine-tuning of the weak force of the nucleus, if it was off by uh, 10 to the 100th power, it would prevent life from even taking place in the universe. Similarly, a change in the value of the so-called cosmological constant, that's how the universe is expanding out, which drives acceleration in the universe and expansion, uh, if it's off by as little as one part in 100 to the 120th, would have uh, rendered a universe life-prohibiting. So if the, if the expansion rate of the universe was off by 1 and 100 to the 20th power, it would have been a, uh, the universe would not have been um, life-prohibiting. Um, it would be in life prohibiting. It would not have life there in the universe. And so there's tons of these examples. Dr. Mark Horton says this, that if the balance between gravity and the expansion rate were altered by one part in one million, billion, 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 there would be no galaxies, stars, planets, or life. It's off by one part in one million, billion, 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 There'll be no galaxies, no stars, no planets, no life. Hugh Ross says this, that, it, that the fine-tuning of dark energy in the universe exceeds the best human design, and he says the best human ingenuity is the gravity wave telescope. He says that the, the fine-tuning of dark energy exceeds this to 10 to the 97th power times more intelligent than that. And so they're, what they're saying that <clears throat> is that if we look at the universe, it's so finely tuned for life to exist that it's almost, it's crazy to think that there's not a designer behind this. Um, it's been said that there's over 30 different physical or cosmological parameters that must be finely tuned in order for life to be possible. There's 30 different of these things. All of them has to be finely tuned for life to exist. Dark en energy, um, the gravitational pull, the acceleration, the cosmological expansion, all these things, all 30, and they say there might be some more than that, <clears throat> have to be finely tuned just for life to even exist. If one of them's off, no life whatsoever. Maybe you've heard that the, that, that, um, the universe is balanced on a razor's edge, right? That all these cosmological constants are balanced on a razor's edge. If they're off at all, the whole thing collapses down. Um, Paul Davies, Dr. Paul Davies says that the cliche that life is balanced on a nice knife edge is so is, is a staggering understatement in the case. In this case, no knife in the universe could have an edge that fine. So he's saying that, that life balanced on a razor edge is an understatement. It's a staggering understatement. There's no fine, there's no edge that's that, that fine that can balance these things. In other words, what he's saying is that this thing um, to say that it's balanced on a razor's edge is a, it's just a flat out understatement. And so um, that's just a kind of a brief look at the fine-tuning argument. I didn't want to take too much time to dig in too much so that you can kind of do some, some I want to scratch the surface and then do some research on your own. Um, <clears throat> but that's the fine-tuning, the te teleological argument, the fine-tuning argument for God's existence. When we look into creation, we see fine-tuning. When we look at a watch, we see fine-tuning. Why are we so quick to stop at creation? It's been said that if you look through the, the telescope, you see a designer. If you turn around and look through a microscope, you see design all the way out in cosmology, all the way down to biology. There's design, there's fine-tuning through and through. And David is saying that, that points us to a creator, that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day they pour out speech, night to night they reveal his knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. 
Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. I often wonder, uh, what if David had a telescope? Well, if he's out there in, the, in the, that field at night watching the sheep and could look out into the Milky Way galaxy and see all that's really out there, what would this psalm look like then? What if he had a, a microscope to look down at the, ourselves, at the cellular, the micro, uh, at microbiology, at the, the level of the cell and break this thing open and look at it? What would he say then? And so why, I, I want to I just uh, kind of um, ask you to say, you know, if you're, if you're in, a, in, in a conversation with your friend and they're, they're kind of pushing back on these things, ask them, say, why are you so easy to see design when you can see it in a watch or a telephone or a car or all those things, but you're not easy or not quick to say behind um, the design of a cell, there has to be a designer. There can't be information without an information giver. And I think there's a reason that um, people are so uh, quick to push off design and creation. I think Paul tells us the, the reason why in Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 23. Paul says this, that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They push the truth down. They hold it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For all, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, uh, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul opens up Romans and says that God has revealed himself to them, to all creation, and un, in unrighteousness they suppress the truth. They hold the truth down. For what can be known about God is plain to them. God has plainly showed everyone that he's the God of creation because God has shown it to them. It's been clearly perceived, Paul says. Where has it been clearly perceived at? Paul says it's been clearly perceived ever since creation. Of the, of, the, of the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So much so, Paul says there in verse 20, that they're without excuse. So they can look out in creation and say that there's a God. But this is not um, revelation that's going to save. This does not say, point to um, a Savior who came and, and died for their sins. Um, so we still got to preach the gospel to all, all, all people. Um, but it's so clear that they're without excuse. Right? And what, what are they doing? They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They're holding this thing down. They're holding this truth down. I, I remember a funny thing that Douglas Wilson said one time. He said that, that the unbelievers suppress the truth. They're holding the truth down like they're holding down a beach ball under the water in a pool. They're suppressing They're holding it down. He said the Christian apologist's job is to come up and tickle them, make it tough for them to hold it down. So, hey, use these arguments to tickle your unbelievers as they're suppressing the truth to show that there is a God, there is a designer behind this beautiful creation. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to email us. Um, I'm sure our email is there on, on, the, on our website at denverbaptist.org. Uh, and uh, feel free to share this podcast, share it out with your friends, uh, comment, leave some comments on it. And uh, we'll be back next time with another argument on apologetics. God bless you.